Hello, and thank you everyone for joining us for That Solo Life, the podcast for PR pros and marketers who work for ourselves. I am Michelle Kane. My company is Voice Matters, and I am here as ever with my wonderful co-host, Karen Swim. She is the leader of our solo PR pro pack, and we are also excited to have with us Leslie Jennings Rowley. She is going to talk about her work with her company, Hereafter Partners, and it's led her to have a really fun nickname which I'll get into at the end. But first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Leslie is a respected organizational engagement leader and content producer with over two decades of experience in mission-driven organizations and a reputation for and track record of building new programs and sustaining key initiatives. She founded Hereafter Partners in 2019, and it is a purposeful organization that aims to make conversations about death, dying, and aging more normalized and accessible for younger cohorts of society and in our little world for us solo PR pros because we wear all the hats and it has also brought her the nickname of the death lady. (laughs) Thank you for joining us, Leslie. Welcome. Michelle and Karen, great to be here with you and uh, look forward to, um, you know, talking about death, uh, which really is a conversation about talking about life and what's important to us. It is. I, I, and I, I was telling Michelle beforehand that we call you the death lady, but we say it without all the doom and gloom because you really right. are someone who helps us to celebrate our life and make sure that we take that celebration into the planning so that when we are in our after, our loved ones are not left behind trying to figure out how to celebrate our lives and missing things and they don't know how we would have wanted to be honored. And we have all those hard conversations, but you make it accessible, practical, and fun. We try to make it fun. Yeah. yeah. It's not everybody's, you know, top on everybody's fun list, but yeah, <laughs> we try to do that. So how do you go about that? Just tell us what what do you do as hereafter partners? Sure. Well I um as Michelle said earlier, I kind of came to this work with a particular cohort in mind. So if you look at websites and literature and other campaigns about getting your stuff in order or end of life planning, um, it really is mostly targeted toward those people in the final stage and age of their life. And um, this actually came to be a passion area of mine after the death of my father um, six years ago, um, but not right away. Um, When you're in the throes of helping someone through hospice and the last, the really last stages of life, you're just bombarded with, or at least I was bombarded with all these unknowns. I had no idea what I was doing. I felt as though I was doing it in a vacuum, doing the best I could and second guessing everything. And then, by the way, when it felt, quote, over, I ran back to my own life, which was at the time two small kids, a full time job and, you know, trying to piece back a number of weeks, months, whatever, um, to a semblance of normalcy. And I actually I knew that my life had been changed by that full experience, but I didn't have time to process or deal with that. Luckily, I didn't have a lot of grief at the time because my father had been very clear about what his end of wishes were and what path we were on. So that was that was a blessing. But there I was doing my whole life thing. And come five years later, my mother-in-law was 
seeing that she was at the very end stages of her life. And we started having these same conversations. And I saw my husband navigating that across the country with siblings. I'm an only child and was fairly close. So that was a different um, dynamic. And he was dealing then in the aftermath with executorship. And I just saw we are recreating the wheel. And why is that? And it's because, yes, there are resources out there that one could scour the internet or read tons of books. But first, they're not really aimed at that sandwich generation person who's juggling their own lives and their own children and their own work life and their their elder statesmen, you know, there are other generations. It's really not for us yet. It doesn't feel like it's for us. And it's all disparate in little corners of the interwebs. So I decided that just shouldn't be. And I wonder if anyone else would want to talk about death. And I put out a call to my larger social and professional circle and said, anybody that wants to come to a very different kind of Cinco de Mayo party should come to my house. Um, And instead of eight people responding, 56 people responded and said, all in their 30s, 40s, some 20s, peppering is of 50s. Um, And I saw there was not only a real desire and need, but it came from being asked. We need to put the invitation out there for younger people to start talking about death that hopefully is years away for themselves and for their loved ones. Um, But first we start with conversation, like getting people okay with talking about our own mortality and recognizing that if we talk about death, that does not mean we're asking it to come early. Um, We don't, I don't believe in jinxes that way. I haven't seen those play out. Um, And, and, there are so many benefits from getting people with, you know, heart-centered conversations, valued-centered conversations about death. And then you can start looking at checklists of saying, okay, have I have I done the financial things? Have I done the medical things? Have I really looked at that spiritual part or the fa- family part? Um, and so we try to provide, yes, those checklists, but really before the checklists come some real deep le- reflection about what it means to live a good life so that you can ultimately die a good death. You know what I really love about the the demographics that you just described, that these are, you know, younger people and death is not imminent. They don't have, you know, health issues or diseases and they're not staring it in the face is that it takes that conversation about end of life to a different place because you're right. They so frequently happen in a hospital room when something, there's an event and you're expecting it. And that is so filled with emotion and grief that I also believe that it it alters the decisions that you make and you're completely reacting to the moment. But by removing the imminency of the situation, I feel like it allows you to have richer conversations be a better planner, be far organized because there's no emotion because you're not going to die. It's not like you have a terminal disease and now you're, you know, processing all of that along with having to make these decisions. So, you know, I I love that you're advocating for normalizing having these conversations outside of that realm. That's right. And I'm not the first person to think of this. There is definitely a growing um what 
some people call a death positive movement um, mm -hmm. to be thinking along these lines of putting death together, wrapping it into life um, in investigations and discussions. Um, but what I'm thinking is kind of new and novel is not just having the conversations, getting the resources, but really adding that accountability piece to say, you know, I bet having a will or revising your will or looking at your will is on your to-do list. It's on your mental to-do list. I'm sure it is. Everybody. We know we have to do it. We even want right. to do it because it feels like the right thing to do and will give us some sense of mental security. But it's so far down the list. I mean, we have so many things to do. And frankly, who wants to put that at the top of the list? Confronting one's mortality is not something we, particularly in the West, are accustomed to doing. So, you know, I think Part, part of what I can provide and, you know, our partners can provide are these like little nudges to say, okay, you said you're going to do it. Now, you know, taxes are behind you. Let's have a five week drumbeat to get you to think about getting your advance directive signed and sealed. And let's, yeah. you know, that's, it's done. Yeah. Until next year when I ask you to look at it again. But still, um, <laughs> you know, that's, I think that's the piece that we're trying to, to add to the landscape. Yeah, Excellent. I love that. Yeah, and, yeah. And I want to, you know, so you said that this, what evolved out of personal experiences over time, the death of both your dad and then your husband's mother, but you also have a second career and another business as a content producer and engagement specialist. So tell us like, and you're still doing that. Um are there any lessons because you're you're wonderful about articulating the messages but are there any lessons from that business that you have been able to leverage and utilize in hereafter partners? Oh, for sure. Um and I think those, you know, it's it's everything that your audience thinks about daily. Those, you know, what are the messages that we need to get out there? And then how do we put them in front of a person when they're ready? in the mindset that they're currently in, even if it's not the mindset we need them to be in when they're making that, you know, purchasing position or, or in this case, doing position. Um, and so a lot of those skills that I've used in many nonprofit organizations over my career um, certainly come to the fore. And when I was thinking about this, your your audience in particular, I just wanted to kind of point out that as I said, we mentally know we need to do this. And one of the benefits of actually doing it is not so much that, you know, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I, I will all, everybody that around me that I know and love will be fine. There is such a mental load that is lifted when you know that you have an advanced directive that spells out what you what kind of medical treatments in your um you know when you're in times of need you want and what you don't want and you've named someone to be able to speak on your behalf mm. that work that needs to be done is so it's difficult in the moment but once you've done it it prepares you and you know that your loved ones aren't going to have to do those last minute scrambles or thinking or worrying and wondering um and just a, a piece of information that I just found astounding that I read. Um, it was based on a, a study in, um, I think, 2017, but um, published um, 
and talked about by Dolly Chug in her book in 2018 on um, being better people. And um, it's this statistic that in U.S. companies, $75 billion, over $75 billion is lost in productivity per year due to what they call hidden grief. And hidden grief not only is, you know, certainly what I think our entire society has been facing this year with racial reckoning and coronavirus, you know, fallout. Um, but these elements of, I don't know what my dad wants. And he's asking me to go through medical procedures with him and advocate on his behalf. And I'm, I, I cannot focus on my work. I cannot focus on these things that are being asked of me because I'm, I'm, I haven't had those conversations. And if we get all of that out of the way earlier, as you said, Karen, before that kind of stress of the here and now happens, I think that that number of you know productivity dollars lost will go down. Um, but it's just this mental accounting yeah. that we, you know, are will be so much the richer for having done. Because there are stats around how this impacts productivity. Should companies be taking a greater role and be more proactive and not just giving you, and, and honestly, they don't give people enough time to grieve. And they also don't give people enough time to, you know, have a new child, but that's a whole other conversation. But should companies be more proactive in offering these services to help people make these preparations? Because some of the assets that companies give to people are also impacted at the end of our life. You know, I think about 401k plans and any life insurance policies that you may have. Um, So, you know, talk about that and talk about, you know, how can we get corporate America to enter this conversation and be a part of it? Okay, Karen, I, I'm going to have to put you on my payroll because this <laughs> is Hereafter Partners 2.0. Um, and, you know, we've been around for two years doing really grassroots level, you know, workshops and and this sort of thing for, you know, different kinds of groups, student groups, community groups, friend groups. Um, but my, my real passion is doing exactly what you said, making sure to, to scale this properly. I think it does need to be at that corporate level that says we have these benefits for other things. We do even have, you know, some very forward thinking organizations have some semblance of, you know, legal benefits or, you know, legal consultative benefits. Um, and there are, you know, grief days and that sort of thing. But there is no holistic look at life mm-hmm. and death planning. And, you know, there, there are wealth planning things that you're dealing with, your 401k right. all the time. But as you said, those dovetail into all sorts of decisions. Long-term care insurance goes one, goes one way. But what does it really mean when dad dies, mom has never balanced a checkbook or can't drive anymore or all of these things? What are the services at your disposal? How do you even find out what those services are at your disposal to make that plan work? Now that, unfortunately, I think people are thinking about that in that decision-making state. I need to know this now. Yeah, That might be 2.0. Where I want to get is the 3.0, which is let's have this holistic package of benefits that says, let's plan when you're just starting your job or in, you know, in another situation, when you are getting married, when you are where, when there are these life change kind of situations, how does that impact 
the way you're going to think through life decisions and all of these kind of the checklist things as well as where your values are. I think for for independent professionals too, among those who are listening, um, yeah. this is something that they, you know, it doesn't exist. Don't, don't feel like you're missing out on the corporate side because it doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> but when, when you are thinking about um, kind of putting your long-term plans together for your business, this impacts business too. And so yeah. there's the, the succession planning, if you will, or, you know, what, what is the, the question about, you know, what's going to happen to your business if you are, incapacitated because this isn't just about death this is also right. about health and you know we're we're living in a very medicalized society for good or bad and what that means is yeah. we are living with conditions that are chronic that also have impacts um so i think it's it's something that you know solo solopreneurs um or you know small entrepreneurial businesses need to think about um yeah. not to be scared about but i think it right. it's 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 something to put in your in your toolbox so if we had to, for our solos, you know, to because we're pretty much all type A and like to plan, even though planning for this is, as you say, it's it's not something you look forward to or you think, oh, I don't know who's going to want my stuff. Um, but for us just to have, what would you say are the, the first three things that we should put on our to-do list to just start this process? Yeah. Well, again, this sandwich generation, right? We mm -hmm. are caught between the things we know ne we need to do for ourselves and likely in many situations, the things we know we need to do for those that are a generation above us. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I use that airplane oxygen mask um, analogy. Like we really do need to put our own mask on first. And so if you forced me to say three things, I would put them all in lump, all one. Uh, okay, well, I'll start with the three. And the three are all lumped into getting an advanced directive together. And um, mm. let me do definition. So advanced directive sure. really is any um, legal document that you put together um, before needing it um, to outline the um, care that you would like at a time when you are no longer able to make, um, be vocal about decisions um, that need to be made on your behalf. Mm -hmm. And also in questions of when is life no longer worth living to you or at a point where you you feel as though medical intervention is not the path that you want um, mm -hmm. or is the path that you want. It, it's not about like, I don't, I don't want to continue. It's maybe you want all the bells and whistles and that just needs to be, you know, put down in a document and sure. someone is named your medical proxy. It's, it has different names in different states. So the right. three things I would say in that it are first Google right now, um, kind of state specific advanced directives. Um, there are a number of organizations that keep those up to date of uh, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Association uh, organization um, is one of those, but you'll you'll get that by Googling. It is a state by state um, kind of form that you'd need to fill out. Um, and then the second thing is think about who that person is that you uh, would really trust to understand the values that bring you to a set of decisions because it's not going to be, you know, it, no one really needs a document that spells out if I you know, um, lose consciousness because of this, this is what you do. It's, it's more flow chart, less list, bulleted list. Right. right. Um, and so you need to find someone who understands kind of where you're coming from in life about what right. is important and, and what values are foremost for you. And then the third thing is have 
put on your calendar a time to go on a walk with that person or take that person to tea and say, I know this is weird and awkward, but I really, I trust you. And I want to start having a set of conversations about what's meaningful. And our website has um, kind of prompts, conversation prompts that you can download and, and start thinking about that. So that would really be my first thing. And then I think your audience is really set up with the skills that they have in connecting people and understanding messaging and, and where people are coming from. They're really set up to start having those conversations with their loved ones. Um, so that would be, you know, two and three if, or three, the oh. second part, four and five of those um, things to do. Um, and recognizing that everyone has different on-ramps for what's going to feel comfortable. You know, the, the one nice entree with having done your own directive is to say, hey, I just did this. And it mm -hmm. led me to realize, I don't really know what your wishes are, or, you know, who you really feel like the right spokesperson is, it doesn't have to be me, but I'm just, I want to mm -hmm. be an un understanding of where you're coming from with this. And many people won't have even started. So that's mm -hmm. just a, a way down the path. But when you when you do start the conversation, maybe you know that, you know, this relative is much more about opening up the file drawer and saying, well, these are my taxes for the last seven years. And I'm, you know, I do all the things by the book. So then you might say, okay, well, here's a form and let's go through a form. There may be other people that are like, I don't really want to think about death. I, I want to hold on to my memories and my family and all of that's more important. So maybe it's more legacy of, okay, well, you know, if I've never written down those recipes, so let's mm. just start there. And then you can start conversations about what really matters um, and ultimately get to signing documents and things. But, um, you know, maybe you just need to take a different PR tack, if you will. Yeah, there um, we go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I yeah, within what you said, and just from my personal experience too, the importance of any of us having set up, and I know you touched on one of those docs, um, you know, different powers of attorney, you know, medical, financial, because the time when you absolutely need them is never going to be the expedient time to make them happen because right. you will often need attorneys and notaries and lots of people. And if you're, if you are a loved one is not mobile, it's really um, challenging to yeah. even think about having that happen. Yeah. And we've been developing checklists and it's kind of fun. And it's a rabbit hole, actually, when See? you start. Fun. You're making fun. it fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, you, but if you start thinking like from these kind of dry, vanilla, legalistic things, okay, I have to fill this out. But then right. you start thinking, oh, gosh, what's going to happen to my cat? Or, you know, like, uh, only I know the kind of, you know, food that that dog likes or, you know, oh, if actually I were in a medical facility and someone had to come into my apartment, they might not even know I have a cat because that one's always under the couch if new people, you know, like, mm -hmm. so to lay yeah. out all the things that somebody might yeah. need to know in a caregiving situation, not just yeah. a de death end of life. Yeah. It's really kind of, um, you're, you just start scratching the surface and then you realize, oh, wow, there's so many things I could think about, like digital assets, like who, you know, all of, I, I talk to young people and they're like, well, I don't have an estate. I don't have any assets. I'm like, oh, do you have a Facebook account? Do you have any yeah. Bitcoin? Do you have and like, and they're like, uh, yeah, like, well, you have digital assets and we need to know how to get into them. Oh, I can just give people my password. Well, actually, Facebook could shut that down. So there are ways that you need to kind of think about both legally yeah. and practically. Yes, you could certainly someone should know where your passwords are. Um, 
you know, that sort of thing, and like online banking, all those things. Yes. Um, so it's just, there yeah. is a, it, it feels like there's a never ending um, uh, list of things to do. But once you start doing them, it's kind of like, oh, I did that. Oh, let me investigate <laughs> this thing. Oh, I did that. Yeah. And then you you kind of feel like I'm getting a handle on it. We might not never get the full handle on it. I was sure. um, telling these ladies before we started recording that my mother-in-law was like the, the consummate uh, organizer. And almost the second I met her, she was like, oh, and here's the, the filing cabinet that has all of the end of life stuff and all my, you know, records and all how you access this or that. And I was blown away. And then she died and we had no idea what hymn she wanted at her um, service, where she wanted donations to go instead of flowers. And, you know, you don't have to get to that level of granularity because she was so clear of other things. We could make right. pretty good guesses about that. But it was still that level of, oh, wow, if I had, yeah. you know, had one conversation about this. So now I have my playlist and I have like all the stuff um, <laughs> that, of course, will need to be revised because, you know, do I really want Michael Jackson at my, I know it's not Michael Jackson, but whatever it is, you know, like, yeah. it, it yeah. may change over. A lot of these things may change over time. And that's the other yeah. thing. Even with advanced directives and wills and trusts and whatever legal documents, those are changeable. They are changeable. So right. it doesn't have to be that, well, I don't know. Well, do your best guess now and then yeah. put a put a time on your calendar. I keep saying inauguration and the start of the Olympics. Those are two things to just kind of like every time there's one of those, let's yeah. let's do this revision. And I uh love that. yeah. So I love I that. Love, um, Olympic, Olympics are coming up. So you got a bonus year of waiting. Goals. So now no procrastination <laughs> is, is. And possible. I think with COVID, we all probably needed that bonus year. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it also put, put a fine point on needing to do this, frankly. Yes. And our friendship, Griffin, I love this comment from him is that not only about keeping track of your documents, but reviewing them from time to time because relationships change and the person that you wanted to be your medical proxy 10 years ago, what if you are not even speaking, you know, God forbid. Um, so it may not be the same. So I think, you know, just putting, you know, the same way that we know that when the time changes, you change the batteries in your smoke detector, it probably needs to be an annual review of your documents and of all the people that, you know, are in charge. So <laughs> I think annual is a little uh, ambitious. People don't want to think about death that much. So I, yeah. you know, inauguration, really like, that's my, that's my thing. <laughs> I need to look at it every year. I mean, yeah. because, you know, th think about this past yeah. year and how dramatic life changed in, in the world changed. So, I mean, I feel like if you do it every year, then it just becomes habit. It's just, you're building the muscle for it and it's not that big of a deal. I mean, we look at our health insurance every year. You know, we look at a lot of things annually. Okay. Why not just slot it all in and just do a document review every single year and be done with it. And then it's not so onerous because I feel like if you wait five years, that's too long. And then it becomes a big thing. Yeah. I, or yeah. that's the way that my mind works anyway, is that that's <laughs> as habitual as we can. Okay. And you're never going to, you're never going to get anything. So like every other year you might find this other thing. Oh, he's the beneficiary. He's been dead for seven years. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> why did oh, I do that? Yeah. I, I was like, my father was yeah, the beneficiary like, of one of my something. Oh, I was no. like, he's been yeah. dead for years now. Yeah, okay. that's, that's true. Yeah. That's true. So yeah. what is what has surprised you in your work with Harry After Partners? 
uh, the real care that people are giving to thinking about mm. what's important to them when mm. they finally get in the mindset of doing it. Um, yeah. And and no one no one has asked where. Well, just give me the playbook. You know, they recognize that i mean some people want the checklist right away and i'm like no no we got to do a little talking first um but most people recognize there is no one flavor for this everybody comes at their mortality having experiences with death or not experiences with death um having trauma of many different kinds or mm -hmm. thinking one thing is very important to them when another would look at that and say, Oh, I, this other thing is more important to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been, I've been surprised at how, you know, deep, deeply people are really taking this seriously, which is mm -hmm. great. I mean, I, I'm, I'm overjoyed by that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's it. That's wonderful. I love yeah. it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I think we have reached the end of our time. My God, that flew by. And see, and, you made it fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. It can be. Yeah. it can be. Yeah, I think that we really should normalize having these conversations. And, you know, you said your, your statistics about how it in, impacts productivity, I know includes solos. And, you know, that's particularly top of mind these days for me, as I have really had to embrace how the world and the stress of the external world has impacted my own, you know, my thinking, my clarity, my productivity, I'm having to allow myself extra time to get mm -hmm. things done and give myself a little more grace. And so, and I think it's a time when we're all more aware of our mental health and and how that really affects our work. And so removing these things that we don't have to make decisions about or that we don't have to think about is a relief. And it takes away a little bit of stress of our lives. And And having been through far too many situations where there wasn't pre-planning, um, I, I can say it's far better to come into a situation knowing and having documents that you can turn to so that you're not trying to figure that out while you're also just trying to be there for the person that you love or having your family be there if you're the one who needs to be cared for. Yeah, I would say that the greatest gift you can give the people that you will be leaving behind is to have as much in order as possible now. And, you know, I know planning, yeah. pre-planning your funeral itself could be a little disconcerting, but just the, the ease, as, as we touched on earlier in our time together, because you're not in your right mind when you're, you know, readying to say goodbye to someone. And certainly if you're the one, you're in no position to say, well, let me just run down to the post office one more time. Right. So. And then, I mean, there is that last added benefit of um, being clear about what you value now mm. and believe that you will value later gives clarity to how you're going to live your life. So that when you yeah. are reflecting at the end, You've lived the life that you're proud of. And yeah. I think there's something to that. Um, I have, we hold a bi-monthly book discussion group and we're always, you know, kind of reflecting on, well, we are so much talking about life and people, you know, many people that sit with dying, people say they die the, the 
they die the way they lived, right? And if we're not really consciously thinking that way of prospectively, like how will we feel looking back? Um, I think that's a disservice to ourselves. So I, I, I would suggest, you know, just giving a thought. And there are lots of great works out there. Atul Gawande's Being Mortal is like the... I think the one that I would put people to most, um, there's another beautiful book by Catherine Mannix called With the End in Mind. Um, and I think it just helps give that reflective moment to, am I, am I living it right now the way I'd want to be remembered? And um, I don't know you guys very well, but I think you're living great lives and you'll be remembered well. So thank you so much Aww. for having me on the, on the program. It's been really great. Well, we really appreciate your time. Yeah. Um, tell people how they can find you, Leslie. Sure, yeah. sure. We are at hereafterpartners.org. And um, if you go to the resource section, there are free downloads and blog posts. And you can always um, use our contact uh, box to get in touch with us or join our uh, e-newsletter. So uh, hope that it's helpful to anybody. Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Well, we thank you so much. And we thank our listeners, too, for joining us, whether you've joined us live today or you're listening to us on the podcast. So please, you know, subscribe if you feel so inclined. And if you feel that this episode has a lot to offer, which guess what it does. So share this around. And until next time, thanks for joining us for That Solo Life. <laughs>